I wanted to break this uh, podcast about God's good character, Noah's flood, into two parts because it got a little long. So the second part, I just want to highlight how what we see in Noah's day during the flood parallels other parts of history like Sodom and Gomorrah, like Egypt, like some things from Jesus's day and Revelation. So consider these thoughts. This is what we saw with Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels tell Lot to get his people, his extended family. He goes, get them to listen and get out of the city before this natural disaster, the volcano, is, is going to hit. Some listen and some don't. And those that will not listen to God or God's people, they end up perishing in the natural disaster. Well, this is also what we see in Egypt with the 12 plagues of Moses. Some Egyptians actually, after the 12 plagues, they listen to Moses and some don't. And here's a fascinating verse in Exodus 12, 38. It says, many other people went up with the them, went up with the Israelites up out of Egypt, up to avoid living in Egypt in that situation. And they went with the Israelites to find freedom. I love the fact that those who will listen and learn and repent and respond, God always makes a way. And I love seeing that, you know, God helped those that would listen in that time in Egypt also come into the promised land. And then you see the same thing in Jesus's day. After he died, he died in about, you know, AD 33, 34. He knew the Romans were coming and would come in in AD 70 and destroyed Jerusalem. And he told his disciples, Hey, you're really impressed with, you know, Herod's temple. Herod was a wicked, a wicked king, but you know, he had all this money, built this great, you know, temple in Israel. And, um, Jesus was able to walk in it, giant stones and everybody was amazed, just like we're amazed by big buildings. And, you know, I appeal. And he said, let me tell you, not one stone is going to be left on another. He goes, the Romans are coming. They're going to destroy everything. And then he, he prophesying, he says, when you see this starting to happen, if you're on your rooftop, get out of your house and flee Jerusalem. If you're in the fields, don't waste a lot of time. Get out of Jerusalem. And Josephus, the historian, tells us the escape of the Christians as the Romans came to destroy Jerusalem. And once again, those who would listen to God, would listen to Jesus, they were able to get away. This time it's not a natural disaster. It's a war. It's human choice between the Romans, the Jews, all these different nations. And human choices get in there and they decide, hey, we're going to just wipe out Jerusalem. And so God says, this disaster is coming. God's not manipulating and responsible for the choices the Romans are making or the choices the Jews are making. He's involved. We know he's sovereign, but they're making human choices. This war happens. It's going to destroy Jerusalem. He says, let me warn you, just like I did about, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, the natural disaster of the volcano, just like I did the flood, get out of Jerusalem when you see this happening and be saved. Anyone who listens to me, get out and you'll be saved. And that's exactly what happened. So I love the fact that we can find that entry in Josephus in history that tells us of the escape of the Christians before Rome destroyed Jerusalem. 
And then I also want to continue a little bit and say it's going to be the same in the book of Revelation at the end of the age, which I like to call the transition to the next age on the earth. It's not just the end of everything. It's actually the transition to human life on earth after this great tribulation, this great conflict. And the bottom line is the same thing in Revelation. People are not controlled in Revelation to take the mark of the beast or to worship his image. They have free will. And it says in Revelation, those who listen and respond will be saved. Get this. If you read Revelation 7.14, John asks a question to the angel. He says, who are these standing in white robes standing before the very throne of God? That's Revelation 7, verse 9. And the angel answers and he says, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. It's an amazing passage because you realize there's people in the great tribulation. They are getting saved right in the middle of this giant conflict where these plagues are hammering the Antichrist and his kingdom. And they're getting saved in the middle of it. And God rescues them because they listen and respond. Again, they're not responding perfectly. No one even has perfect faith, but they're responding. And there's another passage in Revelation 15, 2, that says there's this sea of glass. And it says, those standing beside the sea of glass, quote, and here's what it says, those who have been victorious over the beast and over his image. They're coming up out of the great tribulation and they're saved and they're preserved. And so it's another awesome passage of anyone who listens and learns and responds to God is getting saved in the middle of the worst time in human history, the great tribulation. But again, there are those on the earth and we see it in Revelation, they will not listen and they will not respond. They are attached, again, to things we would all really call out and say, that's really bad. They're attached to their violence. They're attached to their evil. They're attached to twisted sexual practices. They're attached to anger and rage. They refuse to admit their sin. They are dedicated to living life on their terms and they hate the thought of thinking, hey, there might be a better way to live. There might be a better way to care about people. Love might be a real thing instead of just lust. And so those who will not listen to God and will not turn, they're destroyed actually by the plagues, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls. Those things are not, I don't believe they're indiscriminately targeting the whole earth, although some of the things are affecting the weather and are all over the earth. And you have to just wonder if that is global warming because human beings over the centuries, we have served money and economics more than caring about the planet. And it's just justice that the planet be impacted by our economic choices of our nations and our people. But Outside of that issue, there's many statements that say this seal, this trumpet, this bowl is directed not against everybody. It's directed against those who will not repent and listen to God and be saved. And so you see this in Revelation 16, 2. It says the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast. And on the people who worshipped the image of the beast, whatever this image or statue that's going to be set up or hologram, we don't really know yet. But 
that bowl, that first bowl, it's poured out directly on the people that are rebellious and will not turn. And then Revelation 16.10 says again about the fifth bowl. It says it was poured out on the throne of the beast, this bowl of, of darkness. But it's targeting the throne of the beast, right? And potentially these things of nature that God is permitting are actually hammering the Antichrist kingdom to protect the saints and to disrupt and break the operations of his evil kingdom. Much like we see the plagues of Egypt hammering Pharaoh and the Egyptian kingdom to let the people of God go. So there may be some some very big parallels in all that. So the big point about Revelation, it's the same as all these other passages. Some people are listening and learning and they're getting saved. Not because they're morally perfect, but because they listen and respond to God. I always love the story of Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the whore in the Old Testament. We don't know how she got into prostitution, but what we know is she shows up in Hebrews 11 and she is a woman of faith and she's saved. And it's so great. She is the, she is a great picture of the fourth soil. Jesus talked about, Hey, there's four soils. And, um, when he's casting out the word of God and he says this, this, this fourth soil is the soil that responds again. Rahab wasn't perfect, but she had faith and she was responding to God and she makes the hall of faith, the hall of fame in, in Hebrews 11. And she's an example of the fourth soil. The fourth soil is not morally perfect people because there are no morally perfect people. The four soil is those who will listen and respond. And so, again, in the Great Tribulation, some are listening and responding. And the other group is some are not getting saved because they will not listen to God and they will not respond. So in summary, I just want to say, if the people of Noah's time would have listened and learned, they could have gotten in the boat or made their own boats. God would have talked to them and connected to them and saved them. God knew the flood was coming. I don't ascribe to the fact that, you know, he was the active agent behind sending it. I think it was a byproduct of creating the earth and this this moisture was bound up in the atmosphere. But God knew the flood was coming after the earth was created. And any who listened to him could have been saved while he was creating the oceans on the earth. I love this passage in 1 Timothy 2.4. Quote, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the heart of God. Will everyone respond? No, we know what they won't. But God desires that everyone would listen to him and be saved. God lets the people perish in the flood because they were violent, evil, and the desires of their thoughts and hearts was evil all the time. And here's the thing. If they would have turned, even being in that state, if they would have turned, he would have saved them. But it's not, it's not just the fact of that they were committed to evil. It's that they wouldn't turn. They could have been totally committed to evil. They could have turned and God would have said, I'm, I'm saving you too, because you are turning to me and to goodness. So I love that. So when people say, why is God so mean in the Old Testament? Why is God killing people in the Old Testament? Why is God smiting people? There's real answers. If we'll really look at the text, if we'll really educate ourselves and we'll slow down and read it 
slowly and understand this wasn't one or two or 10% of the culture. God was doing these things because people had committed themselves to evil on a national level or on the level that permeated most of the city or the town. And so God does not, does not uh, permit this flood to happen um, flippantly. He's deeply cares about people. Again, Ezekiel 18.23, he never desires the death of anyone. He doesn't even desire the death of the wicked. You know, Adolf Hitler, he did not rejoice when he died. He was grieved. He would rather Hitler have turned to goodness and repented than be lost. In the summary, I want to throw one other idea out. Think about this. Was God actually protecting all future generations by permitting these people to get washed away by the flood. What if these violent and evil people had formed world cultures as large as China or the U.S. or Europe, and they had become great nations, but they had Nazi values or they had, you know, again, violence undergirding most of the actions of their culture, if they had just corrupted themselves and devolved to the level of the animals and the beasts, just tearing one another apart, Lord of the Flies style? What if they had become nations and they were actually battling and trying to conquer our lands and trying to crush our children and destroy our husbands and wives and war just filled the earth? Do, do we ever stop to think, wow, God's so good. I wonder if he was actually protecting the year 2022, 4,000, 5,000 years later by letting these people perish. Well, they wouldn't respond to him anyway, but maybe he was protecting our future that these nations would. I mean, what if Nazi Germany had taken over all of Europe and became a, a great nation that then was attacking the rest of the world? Maybe God was protecting our generation in the flood. And instead of accusing him of evil, maybe God was demonstrating protection because he cares about people and he'll work with any that will respond to him. And of course, we all know there are some people that they are committed to evil. They're committed to going to jail. They're going to do violent things. They're never going to turn back. That's their choice. But there's there's nothing we can do about those kind of people. We can try to interact with them. We can try to listen and talk and forgive and work through things. And perhaps they will turn. But if they're in that other group where they are hardened and they are never going to turn and they're just they want their own violent ways, there's nothing you can do about them. So God steps in. So Noah's flood was all about God's goodness and his protection in the midst of a generation that was involved in hatred, violence, and just would not turn. So the core issue here is people's mistrust of God or their unclean fear of God because there is a healthy, I would say, deep respect of God, however you want to, there is a healthy fear of God or a healthy respect of God. The core issue is people's outright hatred of God. But the issue is simply their internal picture of God or their internal image of God. Do they imagine that he's good or do they imagine that he's evil? 
right? What's happening inside people is the real issue about how they're responding to biblical passages or responding to Jesus, responding to God. You got to ask, how do they see God on the inside? And if their picture of God is horrible, is violent, if, if, if their internal image of God is more like the devil than it is like God, then you start to understand why they mistrust God so much, why they have so much unclean fear of God, why they have so much hatred of God, because they really don't even know who the true God is, what he's really like. So that's why I've created the majority of the podcasts that are on the God is Just Like Jesus channel. They're all about wrestling with your your image of God and patterning that on Jesus. And you see Jesus's compassion come out. You see Jesus's forgiveness and the wonderful way he works with the disciples' failures and sins come out. And you realize, wow, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. That's how forgiving the Father is. That's how compassionate the Father is. And then when Jesus deals with the Pharisees who are bent on oppressing the people and they're bent on bad religion, Jesus has the strength to deal with them, confront them, and call them to repentance and say, you're involved in bad religion and you're affecting the people and I won't stand for it. He resists the religious community, try to get them to turn to the goodness of God and out of bad religion. And there are so many people that need that today. I realize there's so many people that don't believe in God because they've had interactions with Pharisee Christians. And no wonder they've turned. They haven't rejected Jesus. They've turned away from bad religion. I don't blame them. I just want to connect them with the goodness of God so their hearts can be satisfied. So consider listening to days one through 17 on the podcast that is about Jesus's goodness and how that reveals the father. A healthy image or picture of God as seen in Jesus will heal and deliver people in the church or out of the church from that nagging, low-level heaviness in life that we call condemnation or that we call depression. There's just this lack of hope that there's anything good out there. And so if you look at Jesus and you, I mean, it's got days, weeks, months, and years, you internalize his goodness, you get in your prayer life, you will experience more joy in the kind of abundant life Jesus was talking about because you know God's good. And so hopefully this podcast on the flood of Noah helps you realize, wow, God wasn't just flippant. He wasn't capricious. He wasn't like, oh, I'm going to send a flood. I don't care about anybody. I'm going to wipe them all out. That was not God's character. That's not a healthy view of God. He was doing it because the people were so committed to evil. And if you take a breath and realize, wow, he was probably protecting future generations from their, from that generation uh, back there in Noah's time, you think, wow, God's good. You have a sense of hope. You have a sense of joy. You, you, you understand why he did what he did. And man, that just refreshes the soul and you're like, oh, God is good. He's a hundred percent good a hundred percent of the time. No human being is like that. When we say God's good, that's what we mean. He's a hundred percent good a hundred percent of the time. And people are a mixture of good and evil. To say some people are good is wrong. To say people are bad, they're not 100% bad. We're a mixture of good and evil. But God is good 100% of the time, and he's 100% good. Have a good day.